Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's easy Doctor's to get a bit cynical when people use the mindfulness word. Recipes, health, but lifestyle. there is something about you have to be completely present in that moment when you're working with dough. You can't really switch off for those moments when you're doing it. And therefore, you're in a state of flow. It is super relaxing when you've done it. Um, so that's part of it. The other part of it is this, this interaction with this living thing, uh, which you don't get from other kinds of cooking. Uh, and then there's all of the, I think that bread is such a loaded food stuff for us. It, it's so full of significance. So loads of religions have, you know, bread metaphors or bread as part of their um, rituals. Um, and it is a particularly symbolic thing, being able to make bread and put it in front of your family. It's- Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. Show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best. Today's podcast is slightly different, which is why I'm releasing it as a bonus episode. I have a great conversation with Roly Allen, who's written an amazing book, How to Raise a Loaf and Fall in Love with Sourdough. And today's podcast is just a very relaxed, slow-paced conversation between two guys making bread. Now, sourdough has been hugely impactful in Roly Allen's life. He only learned how to make his first sourdough loaf in his mid-40s after being made redundant and needed a pursuit to distract him from the many distractions that we have in the world, but also personal issues that we go into later in the pod. And one of the first things that he discovered was actually sourdough uh, making is quite overcomplicated when it comes to what you can find out there in the internet. And the simple process of slow cooking is something that we need to reestablish a relationship with as a society. Um, We have a conversation about a number of different topics, not just the nutritional benefits and nutritional issues of bread that you can find in typical supermarkets, but also Rolly's experience, uh, his his past and um, his other pursuits as well. Uh, I find this a really enduring conversation um, and we baked an amazing loaf of bread during the pod as well, which I just 
find awesome and it's definitely going to be one of those memorable experiences for me um but i i suggest you sit back listen to this pod whilst you're making your own loaf of bread perhaps um and i, I really hope you enjoy the conversation that we're putting out this week as well so without further ado i will let me and really take it away I'd, I'd always liked cooking. I'd always been um, enjoyed making food for myself and for the family, uh, but I'd never baked bread um, or made bread by hand until I was actually made redundant at the beginning of 2019. And it came as a real shock. I'd worked for 20 years basically in the same industry for the same company for about 10 years, and I lost all of that you know, all of the support network as well as the actual job itself and the, the income and all that. Uh, so I was kind of thrown back into my flat on my own and needed something to do. And my um, my fatal flaw is that uh, I quite like pubs and I needed to do things which kept me out of the pub, essentially. And baking bread seemed like a bit of a challenge. Sourdough was the coming thing. It sounded quite interesting. I'd worked for a cookbook publisher so I could put my hands on some sourdough baking books. And, uh, and I tried it and it was a disaster. It was horrible. And um, I made these discuses. Quite a lot of people make these discuses for their first few loaves, which are really dense. They're flat and round. They look like little hills. Yeah. Um, lots of crusts and not much crumb, the bit in the middle. Uh, but fortunately, because I had time on my hands, um, I was able to sort of put a little effort into refining it and working out how everything worked. And it um, took a little time. But what I actually realized was that it's simpler than you think. You go online and you can get sucked into rabbit holes of people arguing over the kind of water to use or when you, add the, when you mix the flour and the water and when you add the starter. Um, uh, people, you know, it seems that there are only four ingredients in sourdough bread, but there are as many ways to make sourdough bread as there are molecules in the universe. I think it, it's, it can be really overcomplicated. So eventually what I was able to do is wade through it all and boil it down to the essentials just for my own way of doing it. And uh, taking little bits from here and there, found out that it could be really easy and really simple and then as soon as I found that, suddenly the loaves started popping up. They started yeah. looking like loaves instead mm. of um, like slabs. And they were light and tasty and had all that sort of sourdough stuff, which you really, you, you want, you know, the, the quality of the bread. And, uh, and then I guess the book came about because I had time on my hands and I was talking, to, talking about this with an editor I knew. And I said to her, this is, it's such a good thing to do and it's really much easier than you think. And if you have a look at all the books on the market at the moment, they do tend to make it a bit more complicated than it needs to be. And her reply, and I quote, was, well, if you're so clever, then why don't you write the book? So, uh, so essentially, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was goaded into writing the book about it, um, which obviously was more difficult than it seemed. Uh, and... Uh, but it was just a fascinating experience because that meant that I had to look at other things, um, other ways of doing it, other ingredients that you can put in, other grains, putting things like apple or beetroot or porridge oats, chocolate into your loaves, raisins, practically anything can go into a loaf of bread. Um, 
and it turned into a, a lot of fun. Um, and then just before the book was supposed to come out, so this is about a year later, I'm still unemployed, suddenly the rest of the world catches up with me, if you like. Everyone else is at home, nothing to do, worried about their um, income, all that sort of stuff, with lockdown, and the world goes sourdough crazy, essentially yeah. for the same reasons, initial reasons that I had. But, um, and I think that the reasons... I suppose there's reasons why people do it. And then there's the benefits that they enjoy afterwards having yeah. started. And uh, the benefits, I think, are really not so much to do with the food that you make, but the process of making it and uh, the, just the, the act of making it. Because it is this thing which is really, really simple, but also demands a lot of care. You, you can't slam it all in. Like, you know, I like to cook a, a, a stew or a curry or whatever it, it is. And you can chop, 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 fry, fry, mix it up. And there you are. Whereas with bread, it's about being very conscious of how you're working with the dough, how it feels, almost listening to it. Um, I think we'll talk in a bit about uh, dough being a living thing. Um, I also like to think of starters as being a living thing. There's a starter for you. You yeah. can keep that if you like. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah. But it occurred to me a starter is a lot like a Tamagotchi. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, keep, you keep it in the fridge <laughs> and you have to feed it. Yeah. Um, For those yeah. of you who are not uh, old enough to know what Tamagotchi is, it was this huge craze, probably in the 90s now, where it was like just this little plastic uh, egg with a little computer in it. And it was essentially a pet, a digital pet that you had to remind yourself to feed remind yourself to walk and do all these other things. And if you didn't look after it, it just died. And the number of Tamagotchis I, I had to reset because I just killed them. But yeah, so I haven't heard that Tamagotchi in so long. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's the same appeal. You know, yeah. you, you can look at it and because it's, it's, you can tell how healthy a starter is by looking at it and smelling it. And if it's nice and bubbly and doesn't smell sour, then it's all healthy. Mm. And if it smells like it's curdled and it's gone flat and liquid. Nice smell this. Uh, yeah, dude, that shouldn't smell very much because that's super fresh. Oh yeah, that is. So it it should be, it's a bit aromatic and yeasty, but not. Smells, smells if you go into the back of a bread shop. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a faint smell. It's not very overpowering at all. No, exactly. Okay. And that's actually just a bit of dough from one of the loaves we're gonna make here. Oh, right, okay, nice. Because that's all it needs it's to be. It's got the, yeah, yeah. oh, right. And that, but that'll, if you put that in the fridge now, that'll live, go into hibernation basically and live forever, so For, long as it's in the fridge. Really? Mm. Oh, wow. See, I'm so new to all of this stuff. Like, I always feel like I don't have enough time to do bread. I've done a whole bunch of bread baking courses, but I'm just, I've never got into it. Even during lockdown, I'm at, I suppose for different reasons, because I was pulled into hospital a bit more. Um, so I definitely didn't have time to do it, but... It's amazing how many people are now starting to bake. Uh, you mentioned before that it was sort of your distraction. Yeah. What, what can you can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah. Well, and so initially it was like a challenge. Yeah. And uh, I then found in sort of taking on the challenge that it had become not about that at all, but that it was just such a really it's such a good thing for me to be doing for myself, um, for all sorts of reasons. I guess I. You know, it's it's easy to get a bit cynical when people use the mindfulness word, but there is something about you have to be completely present in that moment when you're working with dough. 
you can't really switch off for those moments when you're doing it. And therefore, you're in a state of flow. It is super relaxing when you've done it. Um, so that's a part of it. The other part of it is this, this interaction with this living thing, uh, which you don't get from other kinds of cooking. Uh, and then there's all of the... I think that bread is such a loaded food stuff for us. It's, it's so full of significance. So loads of religions have, you know, bread metaphors or bread as part of their um, rituals. Um, and it is a particularly symbolic thing, being able to make bread and put it in front of your family mm. and kids, um, girlfriend, etc. So uh, having that sort of achievement as well, this feeling that you've made something, but also it's completely transitory. You know, the next day you really just have to do it again. You can't yeah. make, you know, a, a sourdough will last for about four or five days. It's mm. good for about four or five days. And then you've just got to go again. And yeah. starting afresh all the time is... Mm. But also at the same time, you're returning to the starter, which is like your little Tamagotchi. So uh, it's a really healthy, it just, I realized that it's a really, really good thing for your head. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I haven't come across that sort of analogy before. Um, I suppose it's kind of like what monks do in monasteries. They sweep all day yeah. long because that's, you know, that's an action. It has a purpose. In this case, the purpose is, you know, to feed yourself, um, but just, taking your attention away from all the different distractions that we have and focusing on this wonderful living thing i can totally see the appeal yeah and um interestingly so my my dad uh, my mum had a stroke a few years back and my dad's her carer so he has you know a every day is hard work for him uh and it got even worse initially when lockdown happened because the carers who would come and visit, the therapists who would come and visit or that they would go and see, it all just stopped immediately. And he and my mum were in complete um, isolation at home without any of this network, which they'd uh, come to work with. And, uh, and at the same time, I just sent him a copy of the book because it was just coming out. Here you go. And he got into it. And it's just been fantastic for him. All through lockdown, he's had a loaf on the go, basically. And uh, my mum says, oh, he's always rushing back to the kitchen to check his loaf. And I go there now, we're out of lockdown, and he's producing this bread, which could have come from a baker's. You know, it's just wonderful. It's really, really good. And it's interesting grains that he uses and things like that. And I asked him last night, you know, what is it? And he, he just said, well, it's creative, you know. He said it's like gardening, but obviously it's a kind of gardening that he can do now um, under really constrained circumstances. So, and that I thought was, you know, quite a, a very simple thing to say, but um, really quite powerful. And for me, obviously he's my father, really very moving that he'd, he'd found this thing to be so good. Um, yeah, and the, the sense of pride or sense of accomplishment, I think he feels um, it's quite funny. There was a phase when he'd started baking and he would call me up every day and he'd say something like, oh, it's gone flat. What, what's gone wrong? Oh, I don't know. Could be this, could be that. Um, and then after about a month, the call stopped. And then I just realized, yeah, he's, he's probably a way better <laughs> yeah. baker now than I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I should be asking him the questions. Uh, 
but yeah, so that was a really nice process to watch. Do you think that's why it just suddenly swept the world? Like everyone just started baking and sourdoughs as a formal garden gardening when you yeah don't you can have do it a in garden. a tiny flat yeah yeah, yeah it's a it is a nice thought yeah it's the same kind of thing the flower except the flower comes up the same day yeah so you don't have to wait. <laughs> yeah. it's just gardening gardening on steroids i love it so we've got a loaf here that you've yeah prepped so well we've got two loaves at different stages mm -hmm. so um and well why don't you describe how they look okay the, well we've got one in a plastic tupperware that looks like um uh for want of a better word gooey cement i guess mm -hmm. um it looks uh Kind of like if you made porridge and you left it out for two days, it's uh, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't, look, doesn't yeah. look advertising. The other one is in a very pretty uh, basket, um, which is thatched, and it uh, I, I imagine this is the proving process. So it's yeah. it looks a lot more voluptuous, velvety on top, and there's, there's a light dusting of yeah. a flower on the top of it. Yeah, and these are two loaves at a, um, with exactly the same or very very similar composition. Okay, um, and all that has happened between this being a horrible mess, which you described very well, of wet cement, and this being dry and soft and sort of cool to the touch and flowery, is um, working, manipulation with, with the hands. Okay. So that's taken that mess of flour and water and starter and turned it into a loaf. So this loaf is ready to bake. So what I'd like to do with you is just get it in the oven and Talk about it a bit while we prep it. Sure. Um, you need a baking tray. He's already feeling the benefits. <laughs> smells gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> That's an, that is a nice thing about the rye. It really does add a lot of aroma and a, a lot of taste, even yeah. though you don't use very much of it in yeah. most recipes. Um, and I guess what the the other part of the lockdown experience that I shared with a lot of other bakers was suddenly there was no flour anywhere mm, at all. Yeah. Um, and particularly the, the, you know, the really good organic suppliers like Shipton Mill, Dove um, Farm in the UK, they were out of stock. Mm. You know, their websites were crashing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now they've come roaring back uh, and they must be doing fantastic business. But there was definitely a stage where it was quite hard to get hold of any flour. And then when it did, you just snapped it up when it came back in. But I think that's quite a, from my point of view, quite important thing is just to learn to live with what you can get. Yeah. Um, in terms of, it's just, obviously it's way better to use organic stone ground flour because the flour itself is full of much more of the good stuff, the, the prebiotics and the enzymes and the, all the stuff which makes it easier to digest and which give the sourdough or the lactobacteria and the yeast material to work with when you've got your starter bubbling away. Um, but I would, you know, if you can't get that and if all you can get is supermarket strong white, get the supermarket strong white. It really doesn't matter. It's mm. Canadian. It's gone through, you know, metal mills and whatnot. It doesn't matter. So much better to bake mm. than not to bake, mm. I would say. Mm. And, um, uh, and that's sort of something definitely learned from uh, that initial lockdown period. You yeah, know, I if appreciate you can get any flower. Mm, yeah, I was I was going to say I appreciate that perspective, uh, uh, particularly with the mindfulness benefits of baking. I think, and given that it was 
your sort of labor of love before lockdown, before it became, you know, a big, big trend, um, being able to maintain that practice with whatever you can get your hands yeah, on, I think is exactly. super important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And so there was this two or three month period, month period when it seemed like everyone was doing sourdough mm. and it then turned into a bit of a cliche. Uh, but I think a lot of the people who started then must still be sticking with it. Yeah, um, yeah. Certainly to judge by the way the supermarkets now have a lot of bread flour. Yeah. yeah. And clearly it's much more popular than it, what it was before because before you know, you'd go into a huge Tesco and they'd have yeah. you know, one little section. Yeah. And now it's got a bay. So th- and that's a great thing just for, for people's happiness in general. And also it's going to have a really good effect, I think, on these um, organic local millers mm. um, because there's a massive demand for their product now and mm. uh, they'll be able hopefully to to really grow as a result where do you think we've gone away with um bread in general i mean th- th- this is miles away i imagine from your typical supermarket yeah. why isn't it uh it's the industrialization of it and um the processes which they use to bake bread you know your your uh your white sliced loaf which you know, I used to eat a ton of them and now really can't enjoy. Um, uh, and they go from flour and water to dough going into the oven in about an hour. Oh, wow. So about four, four times the speed of a sourdough loaf on a warm day, I would say. And um, it's got a lot of help in there. So it's the other ingredients... Over here in the UK, it's not quite as bad. In the States, they've got minimal regulation. Um, so they chuck... You know, one of the things that they put in bread habitually in the States is something which we normally use in this, in the European Union um, to make spongy plastics because it, when it's heated, it breaks down and it produces bubbles of gas. So therefore, yeah, stick this... It's called ACA, this chemical... Uh, into uh, your dough and you get loads of bubbles. Terrific, wow. nice high loaf. Um, no one knows if it's <laughs> going to be good for you or not. Or, uh, it's certainly not good for lab rats. Oh my um, God. So, uh, so we've got it slightly better in the UK in terms yeah. of additives. But I saw um, uh, a, a sliced white loaf the other day, which proudly boasted on the bag, now palm oil free. Mm. And I thought, well, what? What? Really, what was palm oil doing in that loaf exactly, to begin with? Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous on every level. Yeah. Um, but then you look at uh, the ingredients of any of those, or particularly also other bread products like bagels and things like that, actually are even worse. And mm. there's a lot of stuff in there, and you don't know why it's there. Actually, I've got um, these bagels here. Now, I, I didn't buy these. Uh, th- these were from... Uh, a friend of mine. Um, so we went away uh, a few weeks ago, staycation in the UK, and they ended up buying loads of food and then they just chucked these into some bags and we took one. I, I wouldn't have taken this. But on the aesthetic of this, it looks like some healthy bagels. Mm. This is out of date by about two weeks now. And it oh. looks exactly, <laughs> it looks fresh. It feels spongy. Yeah, and it proudly boasts multi-seed and cereal, deli style, soft, delicious. Uh, I think it says something about like whole grain as well. And honestly, uh, uh, 
you couldn't tell that this was a highly, highly processed product until, I mean, I, I literally, I thought, oh, I wonder how long this is gonna last for. It's, it's, it's pretty insane, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm just looking at the um, ingredients on the bottom. It doesn't seem to have any of the, what I think of was the sort of the real baddies. Yeah. Um, which I suspect it would if it was American. Exactly. Uh, oh, there's but, our there's our timer. Right, brilliant. So have a look at <laughs> Wow. Oh yeah, look at that. It's not going to win any prizes from Paul Hollywood, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's going to be tasty. That's going to be tasty. Okay, fine. I'll put it back in. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, so it's been in for how long? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. So it's about doubled in size. It does look a bit yeah. like a rugby ball. Yes, um, it does. Which the takeaway from that is. We should have made deeper scores into it, as okay. you suspected at yeah. the time. Okay. Uh, but it's definitely also grown and the crust is cracked and pulled away. So that, I think, is going to be a tasty loaf. And that is also going to be a little bit um, denser uh -huh. than your classic sourdough, if you like. But that's because of the rye and the wholemeal flour that's okay. in there. So that's also going to be reasonably healthy to eat. Nice. Well, how, how much longer should I put on my timer? So put 10 minutes on it now. Okay. And then after that point, we'll bring the temperature down. And then at the moment, what we're doing is just trying to kick it into life as quickly as possible. Okay. So as hot as possible. Uh, and then you want to just sort of let it cook through to the middle. But the rise has happened already. Mm -hmm. You don't want to burn it too much. So you just bring the temperature down about mm -hmm. 20 degrees. Um, and that's... Another thing, an advantage that the commercial bakers have over us humans is that um, their ovens are way hotter. They're about right. 100 degrees hotter than ours will right, go. Right, right. Um, so that's one of the reasons why they get that spring, which is really difficult to achieve at home. I think what divides a really, really good baker from the rest of us is that they have such good feel. And it's really not at all to do with equipment or ingredients. It's just to do with feel in the hands yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. knowing how to manipulate this thing. I think a loaf of bread is a lot like a party when it's proven in as much as you've got a lot of activity in there, a lot of life, it gets increasingly alcoholic the longer it goes on and you want to step in before it gets too late. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get that thing shut down, slam it in the oven Yeah. Um, because the lactobacteria and the yeast in there are having a really good time, but it will get out of hand. On that note, why don't we talk about some of the benefits of, of bread itself? I mean, like we said, bread's got a bit of a branding issue. Yeah. Um, everything's gluten-free. Yeah. A lot of people are, you know, thinking about the, the bloating effects of bread, which can be explained by a lot of the additives, particularly the American mm. breads, that's news to me. Um, what do we know about the, the beauty of, of real bread? Uh, I think the, the speed is the problem. Um, the, the longer, when you, like most of the loaves I make, I suppose are about five or six hours old by the time they get in the oven. So already that's five or six times older than an industrially produced loaf. Um, and, but you can put your loaf in the fridge to prove every five degrees you lower the temperature by the proving time doubles, roughly speaking. So if you pull the temperature down 15 degrees, put it in the fridge, that's what, eight times longer. Um, and so then you can do things like proving overnight, which is a really good thing to do um, for anyone. But a lot of serious bakers will prove for 24 hours or 36 hours. And the bacteria then have really worked on the carbohydrates in the 
um, loaf. So that increases the amount of, correct me when I get this wrong, is it insoluble starches that form the fibers, um, which are the really beneficial things, that's the really good stuff. The amount of them in the loaf actually increases the longer it sits proving there. Uh, and, and the reason why sourdough, a good sourdough loaf should be expensive, not because of the ingredients, but because the baker has had to look after it for a long time before it goes in the oven. Right. Um, so it's that proper artisanal uh, process that you're paying for rather than... Yeah, they, the, they've got two days worth of loaf yeah. stuck, you know, hanging around in a yeah. cold room at the back of the bakery mm. if they're doing that long proving, mm. um, which you call retarded proving, when it's slowing down the process. Mm. And so that's what makes... So when you go and buy from uh, two magpies or whatever your local like, artisanal baker is, you should be able to ask them how long that dough has been proving for in the sourdough and they'll be happy to tell you. And it should should be, or will often be, a surprisingly long time. And the longer, the better. So um, celiac disease is one thing. And then you have the much more common sort of gluten intolerances. Um, and a lot of people with gluten intolerances find sourdough much easier to digest, particularly if it's had that long retarded prove. So, and my sister's like that. And, uh, you know, when before she worked out what it was, her life was just this misery of indigestion. Um, and then she cut out bread about, I don't know, 15 years ago and immediately became much more comfortable. And I think, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know, I've not spoken to her about it, but I think that sourdough would be much, much easier for her to digest. Certainly should be. It's definitely anecdotally, I've, yeah. I've heard loads of people say a good quality sourdough or when they go to Europe, and they yeah. have a, a proper pizza with proper flour from Italy or whatever, um, it's a lot easier on their system yeah. to the point where they don't get symptoms. Yeah, and the, the, the modern sourdough, I think Vanessa Kimball, who wrote the sourdough yes, school, who's yeah. responsible for a lot of this, um, had that experience of mm. not eating bread until she went to France, and then she tried to discover what the secret of French bread was, mm. um, and it is to do with that. And also a lot of mixed grains as well. I, I think it's amazing that you can increase the amount of fiber in the loaf just by leaving it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's quite incredible when you think about that being a living thing mm -hmm. and actually producing more food. Yeah. And <laughs> just being better for you in every way. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. And uh, another benefit, it's good for your mind and it's better for your body than this processed stuff. Mm. And it also tastes so much more complicated as mm. well. Mm. Um, that's a real... I find now problem with your bagged sliced loaf. It's, it's just very bland mm. and not chewy. You know, you could probably eat it quite happily with no teeth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh, you'd find difficult with most of the loaves I make. Um, and it's just a very bland, odd experience. Yet this is what we all grow up eating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask a bit about... Um, your background as well mm -hmm. and like how as you mentioned you know you, you're made redundant um after a job that you were in for 10 years and, and since then you've done a whole host of things um yeah. around not only bread but everything else as well yeah um well i suppose i, I mean i said to you earlier i don't well, okay 10 minutes time to turn down your <laughs> bread by 20 degrees, 20 degrees okay. yeah 
and this is when the crumb starts forming. So, so this is 200 now? 100. Yeah, about that. What you could do is actually just open the oven door for a few seconds, just let that blast out, and that'll just cool it down a bit more that quickly. Smell. Yeah. That is a really nice smell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so uh, I, I, was, I worked in book publishing for a long time, and I guess what I really like doing is making books. And um, so since, you know, the, 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 this book, How to Raise a Loaf, was the, the first one I did, but then that sort of threw open other opportunities, none of them really to do with food. Mm. Um, but also, I think it encouraged... What, what I learned from making bread in this way is that it is a holistic thing. It's good for the body and the mind. And then you've got some really nice food at the end of it too. And I love that sort of intersection of things which are really practical, yet also very therapeutic. Um, and the other thing I've written about a lot, uh, which I think is connected to that, is bicycles, um, which I think are, uh, you know, if we do manage to save the world, then bicycles will be a big part of it. <laughs> um, but also on an individual level, it's about the best thing you can do for, your, for yourself. Uh, so, yeah, so there have been a couple of bicycle books which aren't published yet, but are coming out. And uh, a lot of other, I guess, writing work on all different subjects, anything under the sun, really, the, the yeah. things which have crossed my desk. Um, so I know a lot more about the Taliban and cannabis than really? I used to. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast actually called Cal The Caliphate. I oh, think it's yeah. called Caliphate. Yeah. Oh, I need to listen to that. You should definitely listen to yeah, that. Yeah, because was... I've, just, I've just picked up a Syrian lady as a client. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I really need to know <laughs> yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Honestly, it's... Uh, it's a, I'm only halfway through it, but it's a real thread of a story. It's mm. following a reporter um, who basically spends all of her time reporting on the uh, conflict and, um, and ISIS and everything. It's, it's fascinating. I've learned a lot about ISIS propaganda recently. Okay. And one thing I found really fascinating uh, was that they had different channels for the different languages. Uh -huh. And English was only the fifth most important language for them after Arabic, French, Russian, and another language. Really? Um, and, but each channel was very different. So for the English-speaking world, it was guns, soldiers, bombs, beheadings, mm -hmm. the violent stuff which we saw on the news. Mm. When they were doing um, propaganda for the Arab-speaking world, it was doves, it was people singing verses from the Quran, it was visions of peace, harmony, oh. everyone standing together, um, selling a dream. But they were very, very sophisticated in the way they approached the sort of what we would think of as media markets. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they had proper media teams yeah. you know, doing this stuff. It was a real eye-opener. And then, of, of course, the whole thing is this weird 12th century crazy ideology. But well, I mean, just the fact that the English-speaking countries are the fifth down the list. I yeah. mean, we're, 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 like, you know, from a very uh, sort of patronizing and self-focused uh, um, perspective. Like you'd think, oh, they're yeah. ISIS all over trying to change the West and mm. the English-speaking countries, not the others. It just shows you how warped our understanding of the, of the globe is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And we were way behind the French, you know? <laughs> <laughs> even more. Uh, so yeah, and the, but this is the, the life of a jobbing writer. You just get thrown into these things yeah. and um, have to educate yourself pretty fast. So that's, that's been really interesting Another thing which people started doing, apart from baking bread during lockdown, was, particularly in America, deciding to write their memoirs. 
and um, and people have sort of crossed my desk with all kinds of stories. You know, uh, a really lovely lady I work with is um, an Ethiopian chef. So I've worked on an Ethiopian cookbook, Ethiopian food. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really amazing. Are you sure vegetarian no as well? Yeah, so, I know I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Ethiopian food is incredible for vegans and vegetarians, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was fascinating as well. So it's it's been a really interesting year from that point of view. Mm. Although obviously it's difficult from every other professional point of view. But. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned at the start of our conversation. I hope you don't mind us talking about mm. this. But you're you're uh, the pub goer, and you're, yeah. you're addicted to go to the pub and and uh, but yeah. I think there's a there's a spectrum with these with all these things. And the way I heard it described best was, I, I'm not a raving alcoholic, but I do like a drink too much, you know. And I guess I first recognised that when I was about 26. I'm going to say and I read Tony Adams' autobiography. I don't know if you remember at the time, I don't know if you follow football, but he was the first footballer to just stand there and say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, I've got a problem. And then he wrote this, an autobiography, which is self-lacerating and so honest. And I, I mean, I'd love to meet Tony Adams just purely for that. Um, famous Arsenal footballer. Famous Arsenal centre-back, yeah. yeah. Um, who was a real man's man, do you know what I mean? Captain England. Uh, absolutely alpha male type figure and then he stood up in front of the world and said I've got a problem with drink incredibly courageous thing to do back in the 90s and and I read his book and I was nowhere like him I I was not sort of waking up in my own filth or anything like that but I just realized you know what this is a this is a hmm something to really bear in mind just so and I knew that when I lost my job and I realized how much of a blow it was going to be initially, I didn't. And then suddenly it sort of sank and I was like, I have really lost something precious here to me. Um, yeah. I thought, yeah, I'm going to need not to go there. Yeah, <laughs> and it worked really well. And uh, I've got to say as well, I had a lot of support from my girlfriend as well, who, um, uh, you know, fortunately thinks that pubs are boring places filled with leathery old men. Uh, so she kept me out of them as well. Um, but um, uh, that's definitely sort of a factor in making this list of useful things to do. But uh, baking bread was on the list. Building a bike was on the list. Yeah. Um, from scratch, various journeys and reading, stuff like that. So it was, I'd recommend list making to anyone in a difficult moment. Mm. I, I mean, it's amazing that someone like Tony Adams and his... Uh, confessions to the world all those years ago a, a newfound activity of baking bread and yeah. bicycles was yeah. you know helping you and your in, in your in your own personal struggles yeah and i think I, uh tony adams i think he started learning french oh, or something. <laughs> so there was something which was you know from the point of view of a person of a of a professional footballer like him it's it was very off the wall i can't yeah. i think it was learning french yeah um uh yeah but i think you've got to sort of slightly think outside the box with these things mm. and in this country it's very in our culture it's very easy to think that a certain level of alcoholism is completely normal and um uh and not unhealthy and yeah. i was certainly when i was younger I, I definitely yeah looking back i sort of yeah yeah slight regrets about that um but uh developing other things to to fill that time was definitely really important yeah 
I, I suppose across all different industries, particularly publishing, I've I've heard that uh, drinking is very cultural, as it is in medicine as well. And and my interest in this subject of how activities can actually lead to helping a number of different conditions rather than the suite of tools that we have as general practitioners right now is really interesting because the effectiveness of what we currently have in medicine today is not great. Uh, yeah. And I think we, like you said, we have to think out of the box yeah. with different ways which we can help people. I mean, not everyone is going to want to bake a loaf of bread and not everyone for not everyone that's going to break an addiction. However, um, we do need to be thinking about other ways in which to serve uh, a diverse population. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it can be the smallest things um, uh, that just give people that one thing a day to look forward to, like my, my dad and, you know, that moment of creativity he has, which he wouldn't otherwise have in his very, you know, hardworking life um, is really important. But that is sometimes that, that small thing can just be enough. And I, I'm really sort of interested to... Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested by the potential of all that. You know much more about it than me. Um, but then it's how do you communicate it? Because someone has to be in the right place to hear, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and uh, something I've, one of the books I've written about bikes um, has a chapter about the physical, mental, societal benefits of cycling, and. Uh, just starting, you know, just starting with the hormones that you produce when you're cycling um, and then working upwards and outwards from that. It's incredible. It's just incredible. And it's not, you know, just, you, you know about serotonin when it comes to exercise, you know, the run is high and things like that. But it, the, serotonin is just one of about eight hormones which are produced when you're riding a bike. And they've all, they're all beneficial, you know, sort of even, it even produces cortisol at the right level, which is that difficult sort of sweet spot, yeah. as I understand yeah. it, to, to hit. Um, so, and then it gets your mind in a state of flow, which is what everyone really wants. I've, I found myself chasing flow now, um, uh, just to, to get myself into that. I wanted to come back to that because you mentioned the word flow earlier and, mm. and how when you're baking bread, you're doing the turns that we just did now. You, know, you, you feel like you're in that flow state. What, what does that mean to you? Oh, just absorption in what you're doing. Mm. And you lose track of time. I think that's the, the main sort of identifier, you know, that you can say, yeah, did, I, oh my God, it's nine o'clock already. That's flow. And it's blissful, but it, it's not like ecstatic. You don't feel euphoric when you're doing it, but you're so absorbed in what you're doing. I, th I heard one really interesting definition is that it's something that you can do, but you're bumping right up against the limits of your abilities. So um, if you're painting a picture, obviously you can do it, but you're always striving to be that little bit better at painting or shaping a loaf or riding a bike. Um, and it's that zone where you're just at the edge of what you can comfortably achieve, which is the comfortable sweet spot with flow. And uh, and it, flow is the is a state of mind which also solves your problems for you, or it rather, it, it, I wouldn't say it solves your problems, but it answers your questions. You know, it's when you've done something like that that you can see a clearer way forward. Very often, I I find you know, as a writer, I find that purely because of I don't know my own rhythm, the way my body is, 
my sweet spot is between about 5 and 10 p.m. And I sometimes just sit down at 5 and then find myself almost paralyzed in the, the chair, still typing away five hours later with the cold cup of tea there. And, and oh, my God, what have I been doing all yeah, this time? Yeah. But completely buzzing from it and completely alert and sort of tired, but at the same time full of good ideas and thinking about things and enthusiastic. So, yeah, so flow is, an, is a nice place to be in. And it's, a, it's also amazing identifying it because it's easy for us to uh, tease people who go and play with their model trains or whatever it is, but that's what they have found. You know, it's something that complete level of absorption yeah, exactly. It's it's funny you, you talk about that in the sense of writing because I think when I wrote my first book, I definitely got to those states of flow where I was just writing for hours on end, and then I look back and I'm like, oh wow, I did like five thousand words, and, and you know, it's yeah. it's amazing. Uh, and I I feel like a lot of my colleagues have that in A and E when it's busy, you yeah. just get into this moment where you realize halfway through you know i haven't even stopped for a drink of water yeah. i've missed lunch and suddenly it's 8 p.m and i've been on my feet for like six yeah. hours um th there are many manifestations i feel of that flow state that people can feel in different ways and i, I wonder if you know bread making or that slowing down that cooking process is another way to get into that yeah. there's there's multiple avenues you don't have to be a writer you don't yeah, have to yeah, be yeah, yeah. you know a medic so, to, to yeah. experience it yeah and i think the idea of it being slightly challenging but not mm. impossible mm. which is the thing about bread you know the loaf that we've got there i'm looking at it going oh, it could be better from this point of view <laughs> but I, which is the thought i often have you know that this loaf isn't quite right but then when you slice into it and you see what's inside and you think, ah, yeah, this is good. This is really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, on Instagram, the, uh, the crumb shot is very popular. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've heard of this, the crumb shot. The crumb shot, yeah. yeah. So when- It would be when, when, you say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, when bakers show off their work to each other, very oh. often they slice through and then they hold the two halves of the loaf together. Oh, gotcha. So you can't see the crust. And certainly when I'm doing that is because the crust isn't beautiful, but the crumb inside always looks wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a way of showing, yeah, look at the, the good bit. You know, yeah. this work really worked. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love a good crumb shot. Uh, <laughs> uh, talking about bread, um, is that, do we have to leave it in for longer? Or? Uh, how long has it been in there now in total? Uh, in total, well, I took it out after 20 minutes total. Uh, how long ago was that? Uh, that was 15 minutes ago. So 35, I think it's been in for 35 minutes total. Okay, so probably about another five or 10 minutes, then we'll uh, have a look at 10 it. 10 minutes, okay, fine. We'll leave that for now. This is when the oven can betray us. It may be 20 degrees hotter than you think, or it may be 20 degrees cooler but ovens very rarely are the temperature they say they're going to be. Yeah, so th this is the issue I think I've had um, with baking in general. It's that the, the the lack of granularity in the cooking temperatures of the ovens, because with cooking, and I'm talking about, you know, making a curry or, or whatever, it's it's very easy to be quite lax about things. Like, yeah. oh yeah, just throw in this, oh, that'd be fine, a little bit of salt anyway. But with baking, like, you have to go through some processes to make sure things fall yeah. into place yeah and the 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 fun about getting to grips with baking mm. is realizing where those processes are flexible mm -hmm. and where they can fit into your day i think that i was put off baking or i found it difficult initially because i was really buying into that whole mix then leave for 10 minutes then do this then leave it for half an hour then leave for 45 minutes and then make sure your kitchen is 
so humid at this temperature and you know my kitchen's in the basement and it doesn't have a heater so the temperature is you know the temperature is what it is yeah if it's cold it's cold and um so that taught me flexibility i guess um and then you realize in fact that the yeast does not know what temperature your kitchen is the lactobacteria do not care if it's 10 minutes here 20 minutes there uh and they're the ones they're the guys who are actually doing the work yeah um in your loaf all you can do is sort of get them in a nice congenial environment and steer them the right way and they'll do the work for you so um yeah i think it's it's possible to overthink and i think a lot of people find bread baking initially more intimidating than it should be mm. um certainly that was my experience yeah and the but then you sort of have to do it a few times before you realize where the flexibility is mm. um and also you have to bake in a few ovens before you realize that everyone's oven is different uh and that they've all got their own sort of little quirks about them definitely um my editor's oven seems to be as hot as the center of the sun um i mean it, it seems to just heat and heat and heat and heat yeah, and heat yeah. which is brilliant for baking bread um but it's unusual in that regard yeah i, I wonder whoever's listening to this what was sort of like your top tips for getting involved in uh in bread baking and where to start uh i think instagram is actually a really nice thing to do oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, go on Instagram and just look at the what you've got under the sort of sourdough hashtag or sourdough baking hashtag. There are lots of folding videos up there. Um, that folding oh that folding technique we'll just do that oh, sort okay of thing. yeah and yeah. there are other ways to do it which are a bit. I mean that was a sticky loaf so it wouldn't <laughs> have been fair. Um, oh, I did well then. To yeah, yeah. Around. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, and because they're all sort of thirty seconds or a minute, they lend themselves quite well to a that sort of length of gotcha. Instagram video. Mm. Um, I'd buy my book, which is terrific. <laughs> um, I like Instagram as well because it's very friendly. Mm -hmm. um, you can, and you don't get that sort of noise that you get on Twitter, or maybe it's out there, but I'm just not tuned into it because I'm mm. just obsessively following bread bakers. Mm. But um, it seems to be quite a nice social network um, from that point of view. And you can learn a lot just by finding people who bake really well um uh there's a guy called leo rodley who's really good who posts a lot of videos there's a woman called sourdough sophia um she's in crouch end and her her stuff's incredible nice. um you know if I'd, i it's very likely that if i'd been on instagram right at the outset i wouldn't be here because i wouldn't have had to puzzle it all out for myself yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no i went on the instagram because i was contractually obliged to and now i love it <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite nice how you, you've used Instagram, which can be toxic for some people, yeah. I find, to your own advantage. And I think it speaks to how you, we really need to be curators of our digital, digital landscape to an even greater degree these days, because you can just be bombarded with loads of rubbish, just like on Twitter, yeah. quite frankly. Um, but that's great to know that there's like a supportive sourdough community there. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. And it's... <laughs> I won't go so far as to say it's huggy, but you can see a lot of really interesting stuff. And also people post their failures, you mm. know, or the ones which didn't go quite right. And I think that's really important to yeah. um, this facade that everyone puts up on social media. Yeah. When you have a great day and everything's going wonderfully, you post about it, you know, post the failures as well. And yeah. then you're a three-dimensional human being, yeah. um, which, 
you know, the, then and then the victories, the successes are all the sweeter. Mm. I think that's why people find Bake Off so enduring because there's loads of failures there. It's yeah. not just this, you know, unattainable perfection that's perceived in a whole bunch of other shows. So yeah. that's the five minute mark. Okay, great. So get your oven glove. Okay. Uh, let's see how done this loaf is. Are you going to so do the Paul Hollywood here? Just give it a good tap. That's, um, I never know. Is that hollow? That feels hollow. That feels fairly hollow, yeah. I mean, that sounds... Yeah. I'd say that's probably done. Just get the mic. If your <laughs> listeners disagree as to the hollowness of that. <laughs> um, but let's say for the sake of argument that it's done. If it isn't done, mm -hmm. then that little zone in the middle there, right yeah. at the bottom of the loaf, that's the last to cook. Okay. The last to bake, rather. Okay. So that might be slightly on the squidgy gluey side okay uh -huh. um what would you do in that respect then would you uh, would you discard it is that a, no 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 no, no, no. Uh, it makes perfect toast anyway okay um it would just be a little bit stodgy in one corner of the loaf you know and this is this is where you just go okay next yeah. time five minutes longer learning and eat it up anyway um so what i'd normally say is leave that for an hour yeah see this is the difficult bit for me because i would I would want to get into that straight away, but you have to leave it, don't you? Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> what I'd normally say is yeah, but I think yeah. there's no harm in just getting enthusiastic about it. Sometimes you get, um, and this does happen more often with white loaves, um, this thing called uh, singing okay. at this point, which is when you have the squeak of hot gases coming through. Is that why you were just listening to yeah, it? Yeah, I was just listening to it there, but I don't think this one is, but they don't all. As the um, no, no. temperature adjusts to the outside, you get this very high-pitched Never sort thought of I'd be listening sound. to a loaf of bread. Yeah. It, That's well, amazing, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a living thing when you put it in the oven. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's now not, but it still has some of those qualities. Yeah, so, yeah, t uh, give it a good cut down the middle. Let's have a look and see how it rose. That yeah. looks awesome. Yeah, that looks all right, doesn't it? Yeah. So it is actually a little bit uh, ideal world. Another five or ten another minutes. Another five ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got another one now, haven't I? You have. Um, <laughs> but for so you've got a loaf which is basically wholemeal and rye and white. Okay. So it's mixed grain. So it's always going to be a little bit heavier. That's going to be delicious. Good oh crust. wow! And you can see the layer there, which is formed when you pull it tight around the edge of the ball, and that mm. comes crust. And that's this like, different layer of bubble. Mmm, good enough. Yeah, it's delicious. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. You can find Rolly Allen on social media and uh, across all the socials. And we've put the links for that on the show notes. And I hope you start baking some bread. It's a, an amazing activity that I'm only just going to get into myself. I've tried in the past, but I think having uh, a one-to-one -one tutorial like I just had um, was really really useful um, so yeah I, I'm looking forward to baking a bit more and uh, sharing the love thank you so much for listening to the pod and uh, I will see you here next week imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.